But, you know, I'd never been caught in a slab avalanche before. So I didn't realize when I built my speed up and started zooming across this thing, how quickly they fracture and break up. And there I am out in the middle of this thing, caught. You know, there's no escape. The fracture occurred up above me, you know, 30 uh, or 40 feet up above me. And um, they're very efficient at catching people. You know, it's like being caught in a giant rat trap, you know, (laughs) made for people. And it was like somebody pulled the rug out from underneath me. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Shanti, and this is the 21st episode of the Out and Back podcast presented by Gaia GPS. That quote you just heard was from avalanche expert Bruce Tremper. On our last show, episode 20, Mary and I had a great chat with Bruce about tips on how to stay safe in the backcountry this winter. Now, if you missed it, well, first of all, what the heck are you doing? Go back to it and give it a listen, and then come back to this one. All right. Have you listened to it? Has everybody listened to it? All right. Great. Continuing on. So real quick backstory to give you an idea on how this episode, episode 21, came about. I want to go back to when Mary and I were preparing for that first interview with Bruce. Specifically, we were digging into copies of Bruce's really great book, Staying Alive in Avalanche Terrain. Now, anyone who's read that book knows it's chock full of science-based knowledge and statistics. Actually, when we talked with Bruce about it on episode 20, he called it a brain dump of everything he knows about avalanches, which is beautiful and terrifying as they are. They can be pretty technical at times, too. But the thing specifically that I want to focus on regarding this backstory is that in the first few pages of this book, Bruce tells us a story. He talks about how he got swept away in an avalanche in Montana. And today we're going back to Bruce and he's going to take over the mic to tell the story firsthand. If you've ever wondered what it feels like to be caught in an avalanche, you're not going to want to miss this very personal story from Bruce. He describes blow by blow, literally, what happened that day, and looks back to explain what went wrong. But before we dive in, I want to remind you real quick that Gaia GPS is offering up to 50% off to podcast listeners. Simply go to GaiaGPS.com podcast to grab that discount. Gaia GPS offers literally hundreds of maps that you can download to your phone and use to navigate offline without cell service. So you don't have to take that annoying call from your boss in the middle of the woods, but you can still know where you are. So with Gaia GPS, with those hundreds of maps, you have everything from satellite imagery to the quick and easy to download Gaia Topo. And Gaia GPS has added all kinds of maps recently. You can check out the new Snow Stations Daily Layer, which was added just this week. It taps into snowtail weather stations in the remote backcountry zones around the West. It lets you know just how much snow has fallen in the last 24 hours. And if that cool stuff didn't knock your socks off, get this. It also gives snow density measurements, so you can tell if you're about to head into some light Wasatch powder or some wet and heavy Sierra cement. So it's a really cool, exciting new map that you have to check out and get Gaia GPS. And if you don't have Gaia GPS already, you're going to want it for your next trip outside. Also, we're just a few days out from Christmas, everybody, so it'd be a great gift to give yourself or your loved one who loves the outdoors. Just go to GaiaGPS.com podcast to snag the discount. Now back to Bruce. This is a story about Bruce's never-ending love of skiing in the outdoors and his narrow escape from death that day in Montana. Bruce keeps this story close to his heart, still to this day because it's what propelled him to dedicate his entire life to snow science and avalanche safety, a career that, as you saw in our conversation with him two weeks ago, spans four decades. 
As Bruce tells this very real and very personal story, you'll see how it has become his essence. Bruce is quite literally obsessed with mountains, skiing, avalanches. There's life. And as he'll tell you, they'll never let him go. For me, the central part of my life has always been outdoors and especially skiing. You know, I absolutely fell in love with it. And and I guess I remember when I was young and, and this is probably the first time my parents put skis on my feet for the first time. And then my dad took me between his legs and skied down with me. And then suddenly it was like, whoa, this is fun. <laughs> I love it. Skiing is the closest thing you can get to flying because you got skis on your feet and you're flying down the mountain. You can be going 80 miles an hour and it's just like being a bird. It's just like watching the ravens play with each other in the updrafts, chasing each other and having fun. And nothing is better. And I guess it's for me it's it's a religious experience because you know, I grew up in a Catholic family where we spend a lot of time in church and we also spend a lot of time skiing in, you know, these mountain cirques. And it, it occurred to me at a young age, you know, churches are a lot like mountain cirques. I mean, you look at them and there's pinnacles along the top, like the outside of a church. And they're kind of curved and have great acoustics like a church. And then you look up at the sky and you see clouds and gods and angels above you with a little bit of imagination, just like a church. So it's, for me, that's been the place where any kind of spiritual awe or nirvana or whatever you want to call it has occurred is in mountain cirques, in the mountains, on skis or climbing or just being in this amazing place being outside. I mean, what can be better than that? I've spent my entire life outdoors. Every chance I get, um, uh, I just, it's the place where everything makes sense. It's the place where my bliss is. Bruce grew up in a sleepy Missoula, Montana, way before movies like A River Runs Through It called out its beauty. Skiing was all around Bruce in Montana. It seeped into his DNA. His father ski raced and ski patrolled all through Bruce's impressionable years, and Bruce followed his footsteps. Racing all the way through school, he earned his place on the junior national ski team and competed in the NCAA circuit. But eventually, the race course and the groom slopes at the resort became boring to Bruce, and he hung up the slalom skis and took up backcountry skiing, exploring all the mountains around his home the Bitterroot, the Mission Mountains, the Pentlers, and the peaks and passes of Glacier National Park. And to pay his way, Bruce landed a job one summer on the lift construction crew at Bridger Bowl Ski Area. It was 1978, as Bruce recalls, and the ski area outside Bozeman was expanding. Yeah, Bridger Bowl is a wonderful ski area, about 15 minutes drive north of uh, Bozeman, Montana. It's a community-owned ski area, the old-fashioned kind. They don't have hotels everywhere. They're just lifts. People go there to ski. It's the coolest place in the world, but don't tell anybody that. <laughs> the bottom half of Bridger Bowl is relatively flat, but then it cranks up 
to just ideal avalanche terrain uh, as you approach the ridge. And that entire ridge is uh, one of the most avalanche-prone places, uh, one of the most avalanche-prone ski areas in the United States. And so once I saw Bridger Bowl, I went, ah, now I understand why there's so many avalanches here. Look at it. That part of Montana is the basin and range topography, as it's called. So you have these broad, flat valleys punctuated by these very steep, jagged uh, mountain ranges. And that's what Bridge Bowl is. It's a north-south trending mountain range. And so when you stand on top, you're looking out over this big valley to the west of you, this probably 80 miles wide. And then you're looking out across another big wide valley to your east. About 40 miles away is the uh, Crazy Mountains, which jut up just as big and rugged as the uh, Bridger Range. So yeah, when you're standing on top of the Bridger Range, it's just a series of very, very steep chutes. These days, the Pierre's Knob Lift is something of a fixture at Bridger Bowl. The lift ascends pretty mild terrain for the most part, but the last third of the line cranks up a ridge over the top of cliffs and chutes before dropping skiers at the top shaft. Bruce was on the crew that installed the lift, and as part of his job, he had to ski the lift line in a final safety inspection before it opened to the public. It was preseason, and Bridger Bowl already had quite a bit of snow on her shoulders. I rode the chairlift up to the top of Pierre's Knob that day. The weather was uh, storming. It was snowing blowing hard and it was typical that wind out of the south that you get a lot at Bridger Bowl and drifting snow from the other side of the ridge on to the northerly facing slope right underneath the chairlift. And so it was obviously a really, really dangerous uh, situation. So it was my job to go to the top with a pair of skis and ski between towers. I thought it was a pretty good duty uh, just by myself with the torque wrench and torque all the bolts at the base of the tower so that they could be tested and, and, and certified to open this lift. And so I started at the top and torqued the tower's uh, bolts. And when I got, and I did the one at the top of the avalanche path, which is now named after me, it's now called Trempers. <laughs> That's a run at Bridger Bowl. And um, and so this is the story of how it got its name. So I tightened the uh, the bolts at the top um, of that avalanche path, and I wasn't going to go down that avalanche path. I knew that much, and the ski patrollers um, who knew better told me, in no uncertain terms, do not cross there. Go up and around. Go up to the ridge. Go down the ridge where it's gentle and then come in from below to get the other uh, tower that's down at the bottom on the flat slope. So that's what I was going to do. And I started to uh, hike back up out of there and then I realized that I had made a terrible mistake. I didn't bring my backcountry skis with me with climbing skins. I was on alpine skis and alpine ski boots. It just... Oops, I forgot, or I not, didn't forget, just didn't think about it. And I was just wallowing in this depth horror, this weak, sugary, faceted snow near the ground um, that had developed over the previous weeks. And, and then with this slab on top of uh, all the new snow and wind-blown snow. And so it was impossible just to do a pig wallow through that. I was essentially walking on the ground with the snow as high as my head, trying to... 
uh, get through this to climb back up out of there. And so I got really frustrated and I kind of couldn't help but to look across this avalanche path and think, well, that's only about 30 or 40 feet wide, this little narrow couloir up here. You know, a good skier like me, by golly, I ought to be able to just put my skis on and do one of those ski cuts like I read about in the book. You know, get my speed up and get to the other side before anything too bad happens. <laughs> seemed like a good idea at the time. So that's exactly what I did. I had a radio and stuff. I didn't even radio anybody to let them know that I was doing this or to keep an eye on me. Or, I mean, I was by myself up there. Um, you know, totally idiot thing to do. <laughs> oh, I thought I was so clever and so smart. I was going to outsmart this avalanche. But, you know, I'd never been caught in a slab avalanche before. So I didn't realize when I built my speed up and started zooming across this thing, how quickly they fracture and break up. And um, the way avalanches work is that you have a slab of snow that sits on top of a weak layer. It's kind of like a house of cards, that weak layer. that can't hold up very much weight. And that slab of snow is kind of a stiff layer. And it's like a pane of glass or uh, on top of a pile of potato chips. And so when you cross that, it and when you trigger the avalanche, it collapses that weak layer. And that collapse propagates out in all directions like an expanding donut. And then when that whole collapse occurs, it detaches that slab and it starts breaking away from the rest of the slab around it. It breaks in tension at the top with this horizontal fracture line. It breaks in kind of jagged edges on the side from shear. And it you know, fails in compression on the bottom as it rides up over the other slab below it. So this plate of snow, it's kind of like a magazine sliding off of an inclined table. And there I am out in the middle of this thing, caught. You know, there's no escape. The fracture occurred up above me, you know, 30 uh, or 40 feet up above me. And um, they're very efficient at catching people. You know, it's like caught, being caught in a giant rat trap, you know, <laughs> made for people. And it was like somebody pulled the rug out from underneath me. And the first thing that happened is I just flopped down onto the snow and lost all my precious speed. And there I was, like a startled cow, just, you know, laying there in the snow. And the snow is just rocketing down the mountain like it's, you know, pulled down by extra heavy gravity that day. I noticed some trees below me, small trees that were not too far below me. But I was, the, slide was, the avalanche was sliding through those trees, and they looked like they were coming towards me, kind of like a periscope in an old World War II movie, you know, slicing through the ocean. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to grab one of those trees. And I was really lucky that I did. I slammed into the tree hard, and I grabbed on and held on with all I could. And that undoubtedly saved my life because it's the snow that's above you that is going to kill you, not the snow below you. So the more snow you can let pass, the less snow there is that can bury you. So that's what you definitely want to do if you can, to grab a tree. A lot of times you're going too fast and you get um, knocked out by the tree or break bones on the tree instead. Um, but this was a small tree and I wasn't going very fast. So I grabbed onto that tree and I was just getting pounded by this avalanche. You know, it was like standing under a waterfall 
and it was just about breaking my neck off. And I thought, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. And then I don't know what happened, whether it stripped me off the tree or it, it snapped off in my hand. I think the tree snapped off in my hand. I can kind of remember hanging on to this top of a little tree, little sapling, you know, as I went rocketing down the slope. And so then it went over a break over into the steeper part of the slope. And then it really started to pick up speed. And then suddenly the, the tumbling started. It was getting tumbled over and over and over, you know, just tomahawking down this very steep slope. And it's going down. That avalanche path is about a thousand vertical feet, maybe a little bit more than that. And then every breath I would take, it would just instantly fill my mouth and throat with snow. It was like getting injection molded every time I opened up. You know, it just shoves snow in everywhere. It goes up your nose. It goes underneath your eyelids, which I would have never have imagined. It instantly rips off your hat, your mittens. Um, all that is gone instantly, and it goes down your neck. And I was just uh, getting injection molded with all this snow. It's going everywhere, in my underwear, you know, uh, and and I'm tumbling and tumbling, and uh, I can't breathe. And every time I spit out the snow and take another breath, then it just fills my, you know, throw it up with snow again. I can't breathe, you know, drowning to death in the mountains, you know, miles from the nearest water. I'm not sure if you really feel anything. You're just kind of like a rabbit running just inches in front of the coyote's jaws. You know, you're just fleeing you're just scrambling. You're just, your body is just doing what it needs to do to survive. And I thought, I'm going to die, you know. And then as it got uh, closer to the bottom, I could feel it slowing down. And um, I just started swimming to stay on the surface. And, you know, I, and it feel that, felt like that helped out swimming because I could get higher in the snow. But uh, these are the days before ski breaks, and I was wearing s safety straps on my skis, ski straps. And one of one of my skis uh, uh, had come off, but the other one was still held on by the safety strap. So I could swim, but my ski couldn't. It was buried below me um, in the snow, and and I would have to pull that up through the avalanche debris to get myself up. And it was like a boat anchor on my foot dragging me down and, and the avalanche kept tipping me over with my face into the snow each time and I would struggle and struggle and swim harder and get my face up above pulling that ski up and then it would tip me over again and it was just a horrible horrible feeling but luckily at the end I ended up with my you know head above the surface I was buried up to maybe my chest or something like that and uh Oh, I felt so lucky. It was like, whoa, I survived. Thank God. And it was really, really frightening. And um, I, uh, I started uh, to dig myself out, but I was just encased in snow. And it just instantly sets up like concrete. It's something you always read about avalanches, that it instantly sets up like concrete. And then that was the first time in my life I saw how that is because once you grind snow up and densify it and heat it up a little bit on the way down it's just like getting buried in sand at the beach you know you can't move you can't move anything well luckily i had a pack on my back with the shovel in it and i could get out the shovel and start chipping away at this thing but it took me a long time to dig myself out of there um 
And when I finally got my legs out and skis out, I saw that one of the skis, it had pulled the binding off the top skin of the ski. The whole top skin was still attached to the binding, but that was all still attached to my leg with a ski strap. And the other ski was broken. The tip and the tail of the ski were completely broken. And how that could have happened where it broke both my skis but didn't break any of my bones, I mean, <laughs> that's a miracle. I can't figure out how that could even happen. That was a huge wake-up call to me. I was alone, no avalanche beacon, because I was working that day. I wasn't skiing, you know. Uh, if I would have been completely buried, there was no one there to dig me out. The nearest person was a long way away. And, you know, um, somebody had noticed that avalanche occur. One of the other workers that was on a tower, you know, a long way away, saw that avalanche occur and saw me go down in it. So we reported on the radio. So all the other ski patroller were, were calling me right afterwards and see if I was okay. And I got on the radio and said, yeah, I'm okay. I, I'm on the surface, you know, and they were very relieved. But, um, you know, like an idiot before um, I had gone up there, the head of the ski patrol uh reminded me on the radio so that everybody could hear all over the ski area. He said, now, don't go into that avalanche path, whatever you do. And I, and I just, you know, he'd told me several times before. And, you know, I was a cocky young kid, 24 years old or however old I was. And I got on the radio and said, yes, mother, because <laughs> he kept haranguing me about it. And so he called me on the radio right after that person reported that I was in the avalanche and I was breathing hard and, and you know, lucky to be alive. And he calls on the radio and said, hey, Bruce, I'm glad you're alive. This is mother. <laughs> and of course, it was my turn to eat my humble pie. <laughs> I apologize. And tried to explain what happened, but you know, these are professional ski patrols. They'd heard it all before. They'd heard all these lame excuses from all these other people who were green with avalanches that thought they could outsmart avalanches, but really couldn't. And you know, I was a typical avalanche victim. But the upside is that I realized at that point I wasn't an avalanche expert. I didn't know anything about avalanches. And so I suddenly you know, imagine that, got really, really interested in avalanches. <laughs> I wanted to know everything about avalanches. And that's, I've spent the rest of my life just learning as much as I can, just being, you know, obsessed, putting in 16 hours a day, seven days a week for years and years. After that avalanche, Bruce went to work for Bridger Bowl, first as a lifty, but it wasn't long before he made ski patrol and the avalanche control team. He earned his master's degree from Montana State University with a thesis topic in, you guessed it, avalanches. And that led to his dream job in avalanche forecasting. He spent 29 years as director of the Forest Service Utah Avalanche Center where he became known as the authority in the field of snow science. But for Bruce, avalanches are far more than his job. They are a fascination forever capturing his attention and curiosity and he spent decades learning and studying them to find out how they work. It's been a lifelong endeavor. 
I think if anybody sees a huge natural uh, phenomenon like a earthquake or a volcano or a solar eclipse, um, a lot of people spend the rest of their life chasing after that, trying to to see it again because just the overwhelming power of nature. I mean, it just blows your mind to see something like that. And avalanches are the same way. They're so big. They're so powerful. You know, a big avalanche that breaks eight feet deep, that's half mile wide going down the mountain. I mean, that's got as much heft and velocity as, you know, a dozen runaway freight trains. I mean, they've got that much power. They rip out mature trees, um, snap them right in half or rip them out by the roots. They can just wipe out, you know, several acres of forest. They're very, very powerful, very, very dangerous. They go very, very fast. And once you see one of those right in front of you, and especially if you're in one and involved in one, you just cannot believe the power. And, you know, they just grabbed a hold of me and just have never let me go. I've just been fascinated by them. And that's why I dedicated my life to try to try to understand them and try to keep other people from being uh, killed in avalanches. Thanks, Bruce. We are so lucky to get his avalanche safety tips in the previous episode and have him tell this personal story in this week's episode. You can find all three of Bruce's books on avalanche safety and snow science at mountaineers.org or at your local bookshop or outdoor store. In addition to Bruce's books, we encourage you to check in with your local avalanche forecast centers to find classes in avalanche education and awareness if you're new to playing outside in the winter. And at the minimum, get a start with Bruce's Know Before You Go video on YouTube. And don't worry about having to find it. We'll make sure to include links to all these places in our show notes. Next up on episode 22, Mary and I are going to be checking in with Eric Lambert from Bluebird Backcountry Ski Area in Colorado. Now get this, Bluebird is a totally new concept, a ski area without lifts. Now you might ask, well then what the hell are you paying for? Well, you got to tune in next time to find out, all right? It's a really cool idea that makes backcountry skiing more accessible and fun for all ski levels. Now, you know what's just as cool as backcountry skiing? It's the fact that Gaia GPS is the official digital map of the area used by Bluebird Backcountry Ski Area. And if you're headed out to the mountain, you're going to get a free Gaia GPS premium membership to go along with that ski pass. And if that's not in your future you can still get that steep discount on Gaia GPS through the podcast. Just go to GaiaGPS.com slash podcast to sign up. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to see your review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps keep us going. And also, don't forget to check us out on Instagram at Out and Back Podcast. This is Shanty. Hope you have a great holiday, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>